OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Okay, welcome to Supporters Fund, Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Podvin. Let's please welcome Lewis Burnham, investor at Idea Fund Partners in Miami, Florida, as our investor today. Welcome, Lewis. It's a real pleasure having you join us today. Hey, thanks, JP. Super happy to be here. Um, I'm stoked to chat for a little bit with you. I love it. Well, I'm excited because you have a really cool background, and I had the opportunity a while back to interview another person that had kind of a similar background where they were coaching and they were working with youth and, and uh, well, I guess adolescents, but really focused in on using that coaching skill and then moved into the investing realm, which I think is such a huge skill. And it's something that maybe a lot of people don't really understand or have. And that you're able to bring that to the table and then being able to kind of really exploit that across all the startups and investment uh, partners and everything you guys are doing. And we're going to dive into that. But let's start off by maybe sharing a little bit more on your background and where all this came from and where it's all started to where you are today. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it goes back to, so I was a college athlete. Um, and when I got done playing, I wanted to coach. I knew, I knew immediately that I wanted to go back. I wanted to coach. I wanted to work with high school students. Um, and so that led me to education down in South Florida, where I spent about seven years, uh, in the classroom as an algebra teacher, uh, with ninth and 10th graders was also a head football coach, uh, moved into administration where I was athletic director for a number of years. Um, and that was an incredible journey, learned a ton in the education space. Um, however, when my wife and I decided to start a family, it was time to uh, look beyond the world of public education and, and wanted to make a pivot into the business world. Um, <clears throat> that led me to, and real randomly, actually, it was not like a, um, <laughs> a strategically charted out path, but it led me to medical device and medical technology where I spent about six years in sales, sales leadership, a, a bit of biz, corporate business development, and um, just learned a ton. And, and along that journey is when I was first introduced to startups and entrepreneurship. Um, when I started with my company in the medical device space, uh, we were going through a giant merger. When we completed that merger, we started uh, buying up small startups just to fill little pieces of our portfolio and that got me fascinated into the just the thought process that you know five or seven years ago this company was just an idea or it was just first being built and now it's being purchased and folded into uh, a massive multinational corporation and i just started really diving into the world of entrepreneurship and the world of startups to, to see what it was all about and to see you know where i fit into that space and i pretty quickly saw a lot of parallels um, from the things that I loved about my previous career and, and with coaching and mentoring and teaching. And I, and I saw the opportunity to do very similar things with early stage founders um, with really audacious goals, trying to build something great and, and build their vision in the future. And so I, I really dove in head first and started looking for a way. How do I make this like my full time career? How do I turn this into an opportunity each and every day to wake up and just think about how can I support founders. And for me, um, that ended up being venture capital and that's where I wanted to get in. Um, I didn't think I had a very, uh, you know, 
venture ready background. Uh, I don't, I understand a lot of investors don't, but um, for me in thinking about what's my clearest path into venture capital, I felt like going back to business school was, was a good plan. So I went back and got my MBA with the sole goal of uh, leveraging that to, to get an opportunity in venture. And so I spent about 18 months uh, doing internships and fellowships and doing, you know, whatever I could to, to find a way in and eventually got an opportunity. And that's uh, where I am today. I sit, I'm a principal with Idea Fund Partners. Um, I've been with them in total for just about two years now. And um, it's, it's been fantastic. I really love my role. I love supporting founders and, and um, I love being able to do it in a way where we can invest them and truly have a profound impact on them being able to grow and scale. That's amazing and a great story uh, to share as well. So thank you for that. Um, one thing about you that nobody would know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good one. I would say <laughs> the thing about me that nobody would know, I, I don't know that I have anything good. Honestly, I would say majority of people listening to this wouldn't wouldn't know about me that my wife and I have three kids and 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 they are my absolute world. I, I, I love the work I do and it is so important to me. But when it comes to hobbies, you know, I work out at five o'clock in the morning. That's a hobby. And then I spend time with my kids and my wife. And that's uh, other than that life that, that fulfills all of life for me. So that's the one thing that most people in this call probably don't know about me. Ah, that's cool. Uh, and, and great. That's that's brilliant. Uh, putting time into your kids, which is the same thing as putting time into a venture world and helping uh, people grow their businesses. You're helping grow the youth for today. So that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. And uh, it's got to be uh, full of merits all around on both sides. So that's exciting. Awesome. Awesome. So to kind of go back a little bit to your background and what I find that's really fascinating about where you've come from, uh, obviously the side where you dove in and said, I want to be in ventures. So you put the same passion that an entrepreneur would put into building a company. You're like, I want to get into venture. I'm going to go get my MBA and then I'm going to jive into this. So you followed all the right steps. You've, you've done everything that you need to do to get there. So you, you mentioned that you don't have the uh, uh, venture ready background. I think you've got the venture ready background uh, 10 times better than most venture backgrounds. So uh, kudos to that. I think that's Appreciate awesome. That. But taking what you've learned from the, the teaching side and the coaching side, I think this is really kind of exciting background to have because a lot of the time you have maybe consultants, bankers, lawyers, they all make great venture capitalists because they understand numbers. They understand the legal side of running the company. But you've, uh, and maybe when you get further on in a career, you have the consulting side, but you're coming into that right away with how do I get a whole team? How do I start with a founder and get this whole team to kind of line up? And you've done that when you're hurting all these kids together or these youth together to figure out one, how do I win the national championship? How do I do all of these things, which start from the day one, the first training camp to moving forward? So maybe you can share a little bit about that experience of what you went through when you were building up in your career early on. And the learnings that you got from it, I'm sure there's a couple of key points that you take away from how do you engage younger people, but just engage people in general. And is there a theme behind it, like common goals or things that you need to shoot for if you want everybody to have a success at the end? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So when I think about there's two main things when I look back at skills I've developed um, that I've been able to leverage both 
in venture and also when I went into sales and made my first career pivot. Um, one is back from being an athlete and being a college athlete. And just when I left and went into the business world, I had this confidence that I knew one thing for sure. And that is that I'm willing to outwork anybody else. And I'm willing to do just, you know, if it means getting up, if it means staying up, if, if, if there's something I can do that is tagged to hard work, I understand that I have that accomplished. And then the learning, I'll get there. Um, and the learning the actual skills of what I need to do, that will come and building the connections that will come. But just knowing that it won't, failure won't be because I didn't try hard enough or I didn't work hard enough. Um, and so that's kind of carried through all of my careers. In teaching and coaching, I think the biggest skill you need to learn in both of those spaces is that you, my main job relies on my ability to convey information to a broad group of people and have them all be able to understand it, synthesize it and act on it. And having that skill and learning that through years in the classroom and years teaching was incredibly valuable in my sales career and was also very valuable in, in ventures so far and talking to different founders in you know, another space, like it's my job when I, when I connect with the founder and I get super excited about an opportunity, I need to be able to convey that up the chain. I need to be able to convey that to investment committee and just being able to understand that, you know, I need to gather information. I need to be able to download that quickly to myself, but then also deliver that to others. And sometimes it takes very different delivery techniques, very different messaging uh, to really deliver your message. And that was something that I learned in the classroom you know, when you're standing up there and you're working with 25 to 30 students at a time, they all learn differently. They're all listening differently at different times. And, but yet, no matter what, it's, it's an educator's job to get that information across and to make sure that you're not just delivering it, but it's actually sinking in. Um, I would say that's probably like one of the biggest skills that I took from both coaching and teaching that I, I try to apply. It's helpful with my kids as well, <laughs> understanding that you got to deliver things in different ways. Uh, and make sure everybody understands it and everybody's on the same page. Oh, that's brilliant. I, I love the fact that you're honing in on the fact that you have to change it to the audience. Yeah. And the audience isn't, when they say audience in broad terms, it doesn't mean audience like you have a thousand people. It's one person is your right. audience. And it's defining that message for that one person so that they can understand and execute um, I think taking what you were share, sharing there is that a lot of it is execution. So if I need to get this executed, I better have a great message that gets out there that they can understand, take it inwards, sort through it, and then execute on it. Is is that kind of a fair analogy of how you got to go, go forward with this? Yeah, I think that's an ex excellent analogy. And that's, that's exactly how I think about it. And it's cool that you uh, you take this practice and you push it back to your kids because at the end of the day, I think a lot of times um, maybe kids get overlooked because they're there with you all the time and you don't look at they may have a different way to learn or a different age bracket or time that they need to learn. And I think that carries through quite a bit into the startup space is that you're working with multiple founders uh, or one of uh, co-founders and they're going to listen, interpret something different. And now you've got to move the message up the food chain as well to say, these are a great company. This is why I like them. And again, you're having to do the same thing. So it's like you got to communicate to founders, communicate to the investing community, communicate to the investors, and you're trying to hurdle all this together to get your story straight in order to get an investment. So I think having those skills are obviously huge, huge in being able to get buy into the idea of this is a great company that we should be investing in. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's also that parallels what you do as an early stage founder or an early stage sales team. And I think the the overarching message of it all is that it's not it's not necessarily the message I have to deliver. It's not the the lesson I need to deliver to the class or the play I need the team to understand or, or the, the message I need my kids to understand. Or if you're trying to sell a product, it's not our features and benefits. It's, it's all about how that person on the other end of that message is receiving it and, and how they feel about what you had to say. And, and, and just understanding that that's what's important, I think has been super valuable um, for myself. Awesome. And, and taking that that same experience and working with when you were on the coaching side, are do you find that because the coaching side, it's one way, it's communicating outwards to get a team to action, um, are you enabling the communication to goals, to achievements, and you're doing the same with the startup side of things? Are you working with those founders once you've kind of made the, the push to go forward as an investment? Are you then helping them set the same goals? Because your brain is obviously action to an outcome. And your outcome is we're going to win the national football championship. We're going to do this as a team. So are you now kind of taking that same stance with the founder and saying, hey, look, our goal is in seven years, we need to exit. This is what we need to think about. Uh, this is how we need to move forward. Or is it come over time uh, when you're planning with them to make an investment? Yeah, it, it comes. It definitely comes over time. And I think the difference is that when I'm coaching a team, I have it's it's like I put I'm essentially the CEO at that point in time. Right. I, I'm the founder at that point in time. And I understand what our KPIs are. I understand what are what we're trying to achieve. And I need to direct the team to do that. When I feel like we're talking to founders, it's it's like you're a level removed from that. So I'm not we don't dictate. KPIs. We don't dictate goals. We we want our founders. We that's what they do best, and we just are there to be a support system to to think through those, to help give guidance on those, and then it's our job to a invest in to a make good investments, but then help guide those investments towards that return. It's not on any particular company to build their models and, and set their goals with our returns in, in mind. It's for them to build the absolute best business they possibly can. And, and they guide that and they set those goals and objectives. And then we just provide the best feedback that we can and, and really help grow that over time. And then with if we do that, if we make the right picks and we provide that right support, the returns will be there at the end. So I think the key to this is that you're providing the support. So in the case of the analogy of the football side, you're the CEO. In the case of the startup, they're the CEO. They're providing the output to you guys, but you're still helping with the coaching, the mentoring, and the guidance because at the end of the day, they still have KPIs. They still have their own agenda that they're trying to hit for the next raise or so forth. So you are kind of still guiding and coaching through that, which obviously helps you be more hands-on to uh, guiding these investments to ensure that they do get to some form of outcome. For sure. For sure. Now, taking your uh, your your background on the sales side, which again, this is another unique value because a lot of entrepreneurs tend to be uh, 95% builders and they forget that they need to sell their product. 
Um, and maybe 5% of them have that sales ability and then they don't have the rest. So there's kind of this fine line about, can you invest in a company that is a CEO that's a pure salesperson or pure technical, pure engineer? There is a real fine, how many skills do they need to have in order to make a proper investment so they don't just become one and none of the rest? So when you are working with the founders and taking your background in sales, um, and you mentioned that you're you know, you're going to outwork everybody, but you're going to learn over time and you're going to be able to build that up because you have an end goal, which again is I'm going to win the national championship. I know what I got to do to get there. I'm going to sell like crazy. I know what I got to get to to get to my numbers. How do you uh, help founders understand this? Because I think, and I've seen this in some of the content you guys have in yourself, sales is kind of key to this whole thing. Yeah. If you can't sell, you don't have a business. Without sales, you're nothing. So how do you help the founders really understand this? And is there a couple points that you try to throw at them to help them understand and, and work around because sales is kind of crucial? Um, and is that, again, something that you guys look for in, in a founder to make sure that they can carry through on that? Yeah. I when you think about sales and you think about early stage startups, I mean, you bring up a great question. And there's a couple of things that I think about when I when I think about it. One is that the founders that we really like to back are so passionate about what they've built and so mission driven on seeing their vision of the future become reality that they have a desire to, to be the one to share that message initially. And, and that's something that we look for. Even if they don't have the sales skills, they understand that in the very early days, founder-led sales are super important. Nobody knows the product you've built the way you do. The founder needs to hear firsthand what those early customers say, what those innovation partners have to say, what those early adopters have to say. Um, if we see a founder that is trying to build and, and just pass off too quickly. Um, I, I don't want to call it a red flag, but that's definitely an orange flag for us. Um, you know, lots of founders don't want to sell and that's perfectly understandable, but the ones that I've come across that are most passionate about what they've built, they understand that they're, they're the first ones that need to get this out into the world. They need to talk to people. Um, and then the second point is that when it's time to build a sales team, it's not so easy to, it's not as easy as just making a hire and putting that person in place. Um, and I've seen a lot of founders think I can just grab an enterprise sales executive and plug them into a startup scenario. And, and that's really not what works most of the time. And so I think it's, it's a natural progression is what we try and get them to understand is Founder-led sales, founder understands what the market wants. They understand the feedback that's coming. They can get that built into the product. And then we can slowly build a sales team um, over time that can execute on our early learnings and, and continue to build that sales motion so that we can, in time, have an actual well-functioning sales team. Um, so just understanding that it's not an easy button, right? And it does start with the founders are the two things that we really try and hone in on when we think super early stage. I love that. So it, it almost sounds like um, when you're talking about the early stage, uh, call it the C-suite, even though they probably aren't that expanded at the time, is that 
you're trying to get them to bucket sales operations and maybe marketing in those three areas of focus and getting the founder to lead the sales side and really be driven in that space. And maybe it isn't until they get to maybe a seed or seed plus where they start to expand on that sales team, but have at least built a strong base of continued revenue, MRR inside of what they're doing, take that learning um, and then slowly start to integrate new people in that sales channel that will help them grow. Is that kind of the the absolutely. coaching or direction you're taking them in? Yep, absolutely. Go from found, founder-led sales to a sales executive or two, a sales like account executive or two, and then build from there and continue to expand it and just making sure that um, your break even, making sure like making sure a sales rep is break even, and then grow the team from there, and understanding what it's like to have an efficient sales model, um, and not just thinking and not just throwing people and people with really great experience at it because it takes the right person to help build a early stage sales team. I love that, and you touched on a couple of. I think real crucial points here. It's not always about the experience that helps you drive the business or the sales. It's two other things that you really kind of touched on here, which is bring that first salesperson to break even. Yep. I'm going to say you're probably the first person that said that. So I'm going to use this red button and hit that button or green button, whatever you want to call it. But that's, well, that's brilliant. Because I think what you're doing is that when you're creating that formula for the founders to understand how to build the team, it's so crucial for them to figure out, is this the right person that's going to help me grow? And I can say that from all the startups that we see and talk to, they go through salespeople like crazy because they haven't figured out their own process, which is the second part, which you said, which was the model. They haven't figured out what they're trying to sell. And then when they haven't figured out what they're trying to sell, they're just throwing bodies at it. So those bodies aren't going to be very effective. And then they throw too many bodies at it because they're trying to move too fast when they haven't figured out what that model is and brought one person in, try, true, test it, and then use that person as the grow forward from there. Yeah, no. And so I I can't take credit for Mark Leslie's amazing work on the sales learning curve. So if any early stage founder is trying to read an amazing paper on, um, on sales, check out the sales learning curve. It's a HBR paper. Uh, it's super great, but essentially that's what it talks about. Is when you bring in those first early salespeople, a they have a, a a specific archetype, if you will, and it's not the person that's worked for IBM for twenty years. It's not the person that's worked, you know, within a massive sales organization. But it's a person that can come in, understand your technology and is really comfortable going out there without a ton of marketing materials, right? Because you might not have built that up yet. Not a ton of marketing materials, not a ton of support, but they understand the technology. They're comfortable to go out there and get in front of people, have deep conversations, understand problems, and, and really connect and grow that. And that really is the basis of your early learnings that help you put together a a sales process. And then once you learn how to do it with that one person, then you can start to scale that because you understand what, like you could understand what break even looks like for that salesperson, understand what cost is going to go into expanding a sales force. And then eventually you get to 
bringing in what he calls like the infantry. Like now, once you have a process in place, once you know how to be efficient with your sales process, now you can bring in the people that they can run a playbook really, really well. They can get leads from the BDR team and execute on those leads with all the sales enablement tools from the marketing team and just replicate that process over and over again. And you can properly say, if I bring in two more reps, this is going to happen on the back end. You, you can't say that in the beginning. You need to learn that and you need to understand what that looks like for your particular company. Now, that's brilliant. I love it. So just to kind of unpack that again. So you're, you're bringing in this first executive account exec, which is probably somebody maybe in the newer space on the, call it the early entry space. So they're going to kick tires and they're going to figure this out and they're going to work with the founder who has already experience of closing a few cases or a few clients. And now from there, they're going to start to expand over the next few months to figuring out what's working, what's not working. So in a way, they're trying to commercialize that repetitive sales structure, but mm -hmm. they have to get to what that is. And this is where you see a lot of Series A investors coming in and that's what they care about. They want to know, have you refined your sales process? Are all of your people lined up to be able to just cookie cutter this and grow this? And if you throw a body and they're going to learn quickly to be able to uh, expedite that uh, opportunity. And again, that goes back to your point, which is run the playbook and then execute and keep rinse and repeat in this model, changing things up a little bit, but it all starts with that first executive. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, to double click on that a little bit, it's also sometimes helpful to have two executives in the beginning. And I, and I say that because it's easy sometimes, right? If it's one person going out and doing it, you can't tell what was uh, because of them, what was because of the product. You can see trends a little bit more. Say I'm the founder. I'm doing some sales still. And I brought in these two early account executives that I know are going out, pounding the pavement, understand my technology. You know, if one thing happens, that's an outlier. If one thing good happens, that's an outlier. If one thing bad happens, that's an outlier. But if two happen, if three happen, now we're starting to see a trend. I love it. So you're kind of in a way, you're, you're expanding the model really quickly, but you're doing it in fail fast kind of method. You're you're looking at all angles and understand the data. So pay attention to it. So yeah. it sounds like a founder really does need to be focused on this. So if there is something to be said about uh, early stage funnels is it's created early, bring in a couple of people that can hyper-focus on this, fail fast, figure out where you're dropping the ball. Is it the product? Is it the business? Is it the branding? What is it that's causing people not to buy and sell? And then keep shifting and reiterating what you're doing, because that's what's going to get you into the um, repetitive playbook method, which is then going to allow you to bring on five, 10 executive salespeople along the way and allow you to manage that, which means that in taking that model, maybe year two, the first few salespeople you brought in, maybe one of them can be better structured at being a lead to help everybody else in, in grooming them to get them through that playbook. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep, for sure. Ah, that's awesome, man. That's super valuable. Now, when you're looking at the different types of, of sales models, because you mentioned that there's so many different product places uh, that can be fault points, um, is that an operational piece that founders need to look at and have brought in uh, when it's talking with either HubSpot or Salesforce, like using all of these tools to lead gen and everything else? 
are, are you being hypercritical on that side of it as well? And or are you looking at tools as being a cost to the company and they shouldn't look at those right away? You know, what are those other strategic things that you can share that would be helpful for that early stage company to kind of balance um, that plan out? Yeah, so when it comes to tools and and where they play and, and how we give advice, we think about it pretty simply in the fact that, um, and I just before I jump in, I also do a lot of um, just advising outside of the investing I do with Idea Fund Partners uh, with a group called Embark Collective. So some earlier stage companies in there. And so this, this really comes up a lot with that group in terms of, you know, I've done this now, what, what tools, how can I, how can I supercharge this? Is it HubSpot? Is it, is it salesforce.com? Is it, you know, some sort of marketing tech? What, what should my stack look like? Um, and where I give advice on both groups, whether it's idea fund partners companies or Embark collective is what is your purpose for using the tool and and how is it going to assist you? No tool does things for us, especially at the early stage where it's very human centered and it needs to be. So like when I think things like product feedback, like if there is not ongoing communication between um, a founder or a product team and the sales team and the marketing team, whatever tools you're using aren't going to be as impactful as they can be. And, and you're going to leave gaps. I think the communication human to human is of utmost importance because that's how we make sure the loop of communication between product, between marketing, between sales continues to stay wide open. And, and the feedback is just a very robust back and forth. Um, and any way tools can can assist that, then we're we're all for them. Um, I would just say not an over reliance or not a a thought that a tool is is an end all be all. It's going to solve a problem that you know if your problem is organization and you can get an organization tool, then then awesome. But it's still going to take effort on your behalf to to implement the tool properly, to use it properly, and so on and so forth. So is it fair to say that in order to amp your team up and get them to a, a real A-team structure, that the key to all of this is collaboration, communication internally and figuring out how people can leverage off each other. So if that's a closed environment or something that puts them in that space, and then it's just using basic tools, like if it's Excel or whatever it might be to start, and then the experience from these account executives will bring those layers of tools in. They're going to make the suggestions on things that are needed because they're missing and or that this will help them speed up because at the end of the day, those account execs want to move quick. So there's going to be a point where they're going to say, look, I can cut out two hours of my day if you guys implement Salesforce or HubSpot. And then this is something that they can analyze and kind of review and make that a, a pivotal change versus we've got all the tools you need, but uh, the biggest one is that they can't sell because they're spending all their time working within tools and they're not getting out and doing what they need to as a, as their role. Yeah. Right. If there was a, a tool or a platform that made uh, startups successful, we'd all, Hey, I wish I was the founder of that company. And uh, <laughs> you know, the, this game would be a whole lot different, but that's not the case. None of these tools are, are, you know, silver bullets or anything of that nature. A really good tool is going to help a really good team level up even that much more. And a really good tool and a not really great team 
that's communicating well, it's going to just be a line on the expense and it's not going to be providing much value. Um, so that's kind of how we think about it. Like, that's not the important part. If you think there are tools that can help amplify what you're doing, we're, we're all for it. I love it. And this is uh, this has been great. I, I think diving in and learning more on the sales front is very helpful because, again, when you look at how startups look at their business, they look at their models. I do think a lot of the time, you know, if it's a technical founder or a non-technical founder, you can kind of figure out where they balance in. And a lot of time, um, I'm going to say sales is the toughest one. And then the second one is having a technical background. So a lot of people are product and product builders. And this, the two areas that you need the most strength in are going to be obviously on sales and closing deals, which validates and, and builds your business and helps you get into that next stage of scaling. Um, but I think it all comes down to no matter how you skin the cat, it's communication, team collaboration. And those are the things that are going to help you align as you build your team and build models uh, and, and get that game plan to, uh, to start to scale. Yeah, I couldn't. I could not agree more. So now, now taking kind of all these great things that your background has kind of imposed on what you get to do with startups, because I think that's heavily heavily weighted that you're able to utilize your sales background, your coaching background. Uh, all of these things are really valuable to a founder and to a startup. Uh, maybe you can talk now a bit about how Idea Fund works and what you guys are looking for when you're making an investment. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the things that you're looking for in a founder. Uh, are there areas that you heavily focus on for investment uh, in the tech space, in the sales, in the sporting side? Which are the areas that you guys really hone in on? Um, and um, what types of companies are those looking like? Yeah, so interesting enough, we don't really do sports tech and we don't do K-12 education. Uh, <laughs> but which I, honestly, I, I love because there's nothing I love more than like a really steep learning curve. Um, and, and that's definitely what I've been able to have. And I love it. Um, the two areas where we focus. So we have two very clear theses. One is in all things home and housing. So one of our partners, uh, Chris Langford, founded and led Lowe's Corporate Venture Arm. Um, after heading up their corporate strategy. Um, and so he brought over back in 2019, just an incredible wealth of knowledge and experience in all things having to do with innovation in and around homes and housing. So that could be anything from, you know, land development to construction to accessibility of housing, financing, insuring, anything in the entire life cycle of the home, um, which crosses over a bunch of different sectors from fintech, insurtech, prop tech, real estate tech, but all related to residential housing. Um, and then the other side is future of work. And so we have a real, and, and that's more aligned to the historic nature of Idea Fund Partners. Idea Fund Partners has been around for about 16 years now. Um, and always on the enterprise B2B side of things. And as we've grown that kind of general, generalist approach of just B2B SaaS, uh, we've really honed in on future of work. And we, the way we think about that is, you know, there are things that need to, there are changes in the physical infrastructure, there are changes in the technological infrastructure that are going to help enable this evolution that we're seeing in the workplace. Um, and anything related to that is super interesting to us. We have a, a strong bias right now towards things that align with human capital. So that's not specifically HR tech, 
but anything that that has a profound impact on how people interact with the workplace, how managers and, and leadership teams interact with employees, and then anything that helps power, you know, we have this amazing freelance economy, this amazing creator economy, anything that touches that space and allows those workers to supercharge their business, um, connect with their clients, run their business is super interesting to us. I love it. Uh, the prop tech space or the home automation space is pretty mm -hmm. cool. There's a lot going on there, which is, uh, which is fantastic. And then the future of work, uh, again, another great sector that um, is, is really ch changing a lot, but it's interesting because I'm curious, do you see that the changes that are occurring because of COVID, that this is something that will last forever? Or do you think that this is kind of like a little blip? Like you see all of these companies right now that were saying, oh, we thought everything was going to go online. Well, it didn't work that way. So now we've got to let go 20% of our uh, our team because we need to retrench back into mortar. And we thought this was going to go this way. So do you see this shift that, you know, maybe this was just a minor blip, like in the early 2000s when the internet well, was going to take off and then it yeah. failed and then it came out and, you know, obviously the whole world is built off of it now. So do you see this as being a real big transition that's going to happen? And right now it's taken a setback, but it's going to just plow forward to working anywhere and, and especially at home. Yeah. So I think that it's going with many things, right? There was a giant swing in a pendulum and it ended up all the way, the opposite of the way it used to be. I don't think it's going to stay there. Um, I, I don't know many people that believe everything is going to stay there. We've already seen it start to come back. Um, and I think it's going to land somewhere in the middle. I think many of the things that have happened during COVID, and I, and I think the fact that the pandemic was so, such a long period of time, um, like, right, if it was just April and May of, or March, April and May of 2020, then sure, things probably would have swung right back to the way they were. But when we're talking you know, some things were impacted or some things are still being impacted, right? And so I think because of that, there are habits that have been formed. There are new norms that have that have come into place that I don't believe are going to change. Um, you know, <laughs> the one thing I say, it's tough to have a, an hour commute in the morning and an hour commute in the evening and then not have to do that for two years and then try and go back to that. Like not everyone is willing to, to do that. And, and that's just, you know, a little thing that I'm, you know, half joking around about, but also being serious. Um, but there are many things. There, there's a lot of great work that can be done in a remote way. There's a lot of great work that can be done hybrid. And even the way we interact within buildings, I think, is going to change. Um, so I think there are going to be a lot of longstanding changes that started because of the pandemic. What that looks like, I don't think it's going to be how it was in 2020. I don't think we're going to be in a completely remote world. I, I personally don't feel like we're all going to be working in the metaverse. Um, so, you know, that's how I feel about it. Now, well shared. And hopefully, uh, you know, there's a, a balance of all of it, right? I, I think there is a 50-50 a or a, a split that allows people to commute when they need to and work from home when they need to. But being more flexible, I think, is always going to be a great way to look at it. And I think that goes for uh, what things stick or don't stick um, in the, the way that we work and operate going forward. But I think a lot of um, measures were tested throughout the last two years. 
and they'll continue to get tested. And I think that just means that employers and governments will be um, kind of to your point where the pendulum's swinging back and they're trying to readjust and some things will stay and some things will uh, will certainly get altered. But I, I think that was uh, well shared, well shared. Yeah, just the thing I find most exciting is that a lot more people have an opportunity to do what what fits right for them. A lot there are a substantial number of people that want to work in spaces with groups of people, whether that's the office, whether that's shared spaces. And there's a lot of people that want to work from home. There's a lot of people that want to work for enterprises. There's a lot of people that want to do freelance and gig work and creator type work. And a world where all of that can happen, I think, is a is a great, exciting world. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, I think on that, we've uh, we've really kind of honed in on this great journey of kind of where you've come from, the things that you're working on, uh, where you're investing and, and all the great things that uh, you're up to. And now we want to kind of make our own little pivot here into um, looking at maybe a use case or an experience that you've gone through with founders and share a little bit about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And maybe you have a, a, a story that you can share about uh, a founder or even just maybe on your own experience on what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I would say I would definitely pick a founder that we've worked with that has really shown what it takes. Um, so a company we invested in out of Toronto, actually, uh, Cognota, founded by um, Brian Austin. He... The one thing that he exemplifies to me is just that that passion and that that mission drive to create your vision in the future. So he created a product that is essentially designing a market, creating a market. And when you're creating a market, it's super difficult. Um, you're going to hit speed bumps. You're, you have to not only sell your product before you sell your product, you need to educate, educate the space on why it's needed. And even more so, it's in the learning and development space. So a space like corporate learning and development space. So a space that has not always gotten attention. Um, and so he's just fought a super great fight and is, is now getting the traction and is now really starting to build his user base and just his ability to stay with it, to pivot when not pivot the product, but just like pivot his focus. They went through a rebrand. The different things, but never losing track of that North Star, I think, is the most important thing that a founder can have. Like, it's hard work. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not the best person to talk about that because I'm not an entrepreneur, but uh, I have supported and I have seen and, and I think anyone can attest to the fact that it is it is not for the faint of heart. And just the way that he's remained focused has rallied, rallied his troops multiple times to just continue moving forward. Um has been remarkable. And now to see things start to come together and to be able to be an investor in that is, is just super exciting. Ah, uh, that's a great story. And, and it's even, uh, we'll call it even a better story is the fact that, um, how he was able to, to kind of focus in on something, but stay passionate, stay focused, uh, learn the environment and keep changing in order to grow the business. And the other side that I love about this is that I actually had worked with Ryan in 2010 on oh, one, of awesome. his, <laughs> uh, one of his other companies. So what a small world. Yeah, and even back then, I can tell you that uh, he was probably a lot younger in the space. But what I, what I liked about uh, Ryan, even back 12 years ago, is that um, he was driven. No matter what he put yeah. his time and yeah. passion into, he always wanted to learn more, do more, and get more into the space. So uh, kudos for you guys jumping on board. And, and uh, I just actually was looking at him like, 
Ah, that's so cool. I had no idea he was working on this. I'm like, this is amazing. So great story. Great share. And awesome. really yeah, cool fantastic. that I got to work with him so long ago with it. Uh, and he's still running at it. And that's awesome. So yeah, he's, uh, he's done a lot of great things in the startup world and ecosystem. For sure. For sure. I love it. All right. We're going to transition now into the personal questions or the business questions. Uh, so the way this works is you're going to respond from the investor side. Um, which of course you are. So pick one or the other, and we'll uh, we'll we'll go through those, and then we'll jump into the personal side. Sounds good. All right, here we go. Uh, founder or co-founder? Prefer co-founder, but it's not it's not a hard no on the founder. Okay, unicorn or a four year ten x exit? Unicorn. We 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 swing for the fences all day. I love it. Uh, tech or CPG? Tech, 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 tech. NFTs or Web 3.0? Web 3.0. AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or second, third time founder? If I'm writing a book and writing, a, or if I'm creating my own company and putting things in place, it, it's going to be a, a second or third time founder. But that does, we don't... First time founders, come talk to us because, you know, it's about your vision, about your passion to get there. Love it. Uh, first money in or Series A? Willing to do Series A, but prefer being first institutional money in. Okay. Board seat or observer? Board seat, but either is fine. Board seat, though. Okay. Safe or convertible note? Uh, fine with a safe. Lead or follow? Uh... Now we follow more often than we lead. Okay. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? Entrepreneurs. Getting to spend time with them. Number of companies invested per year? About 10. Love it. Perf any preferred terms? No, just terms that are fair to the founder and terms that aren't going to make it super difficult for investors to be excited about coming in and joining the cap table later on. I, I don't understand why investors would do something that would turn other investors away later on. Okay. Uh, verticals of focus, you mentioned them, but just to reiterate. Future of work, future of homes. Two qualities a startup needs in order to stand out to you. Great team. Differentiated tech. Okay, personal side. Book or movie? Movie, when I can stay awake for him. <laughs> Superman or Batman? Batman. Batman. He's a real guy. I like that. Restaurant or picnic? Restaurant. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Bezos. Mountain or beach? Mm. I live really close to the beach. Let's go mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Bike or run? Run. But I started by, I sorry, I got to change, JP. Uh, we all just started biking with my kids. So I probably hadn't ridden a bike a lot since I was like 13. But now I'm starting to do it more. So leisure bike rides with the kids. Ah, I love it. I love it. That's good. Uh, Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? N neither. Beyond Burger. <laughs> on my own grill. <laughs> uh, all right. Trophy or money? Money. Beer or wine? San Pellegrino. 
I'm drinking. <laughs> All right, perfect. That's good too. Uh, camera, mobile phone. Mobile phone. King or rich? I mean, I feel like most kings are rich, but I'll go rich. Concert or amusement park? Amusement park. Fortune Disney. cookie. <laughs> ah, Disney's good. It's huge. Uh, fortune cookie or birthday cake? Birthday cake. TED Talk or book reading? TED Talk. TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. Facebook. Uh, I, I'm not on either, so I don't know who I'm qualified to answer. All right, fair enough. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Most famous person that pops in your mind? Well, you already asked me the question about Bezos. Oh, Bezos was on my mind. <laughs> I, I'm staging it. I got to. I got to change these questions around. Uh, <laughs> favorite movie and character you'd play? Oh man, that's a tough one. There's a lot of great movies and a lot of great characters. Um, I've always had. So I love the movie. Um, Pursuit of Happiness and Will Smith's character. Yeah, great movie. That, like that it. drive and that passion. You can't beat it and doing it for your kids, man. Yep, agreed. That's good. That's a good one. Favorite book. I think you mentioned one. I don't know if that's your favorite, but. Yeah, that is a great one. You know, I'm I'm going to say what I'm reading right now um, because it's, uh, I, I love it. And I, I love what this guy stood for. I'm reading Mamba Mentality, Kobe's book. Kobe Bryant's yep. book, and I like that a lot. Um, but favorite book of all time, there's so many of them. Um, I, I spend a lot of time, I do spend a lot of time reading. Um, I enjoy my books, spend a good amount of time. The Bible, I love. Art of War. Um, anything that's great and, and moving, I'm all about. Don't read a lot of uh, fiction, though. No, I'm the same. I haven't read the Mamba one by Colby, but I, I'm going to read that one. And The Art of War, I think, is a great book, too. So, yeah, yeah. that's a great book. Um, okay. Uh, first brand that pops in your mind. Nike. They're both 20%. Apple's number one choice. Then it's Nike. <laughs> Says a lot about what they've done. <laughs> oh, they're they're good. They're good. Uh, favorite sports team? Uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Not followed bad. by the Boston Celtics. They're all right, too. Not the Raptors, but they're all right. They're good. <laughs> uh, what is the meaning of success to you? Man, just going after your goals each and every single day. Don't sell yourself short and lay it all on the line. So if you're doing that, you're, you're a success in my book. And you, but, but the thing about success is it's not a destination. And I'm not making that. Like, I didn't make that up, obviously, but it's an every single day thing. You got to keep it up. If you don't, you lose it. I love it. Well said. Last question. What is your superpower? My superpower. My superpower is, is faith. Faith that things are going to work out, right? Faith is about believing in something before you see it. And that's what founders need to do. And that's what investors need to do. And that's what we all need to do, right? You don't always see it. If you wait to, until you see it, until you believe that it's going to happen, then you might never see it. And so just having the faith that if you do the things right, it's going to work out. And what you want to happen is going to happen. But you got to do the things right. And you got to believe it's going to happen. I love it, man. Believe in yourself and have faith that you can accomplish it. Absolutely.
I'm going to take that as my message for today because uh, I think that's uh, very well shared. Uh, and, and Lewis, I want to say that uh, it was a real pleasure getting the opportunity to chat with you today. Uh, awesome. I love the whole breakdown on everything on the coaching, the teaching, all of the points that you've shared. I've taken a million notes. Uh, not that I can probably see them because I'm showing it so fast. But again, uh, Lewis, it was awesome. Thank you very much for sharing with us today. And the way we kind of like to end our show is that we want to give you the last word and anything that uh, you want to share to the investor or startup community, I turn it over to you and uh, also share with us how people can get in contact with you. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the startup community, just keep building, just keep keep having your vision of the future and make sure that's why you're building. Make sure you're building because you have the differentiated vision of, of how the world should be, whether it's the work world, whether it's the consumers, no matter who it is, who you're building for, just have a differentiated vision of the future and a passion to get there. And if that's what you're doing, we'd love to talk to you. You can get in touch with me on LinkedIn, um, Lewis Burnham, uh, 84 on there, but just Google my name, search my name, you'll find it uh, on Twitter. Lewis Burnham four. Um, and those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Would love to hear from anybody. Love talking to founders that are just passionate about what they're building. I love it. Awesome. Well, Lewis, I appreciate all your time. And again, thanks for sharing. It's been a great conversation and um, we'll be in touch soon, but thank you. Awesome. Have a great one. Okay. That was that was a great conversation uh, with Lewis. A lot of, lot of great things he shared there. Obviously, the best thing about his coaching background and his sales background, how much that can affect and help startups. But the key 100% is, of course, on that sales side. And just the way that they're able to communicate in with the early stage companies, um, you know, human to human feedback loops, uh, ongoing communication, uh, tools can be helpful, but let the team learn uh, together. Start off with two account execs, work with them, build the process, commercialize yourself. That's what's going to help your company get to the right spot. And then, you know, just around things that really make a difference on the investment side, which is differentiated tech and vision, being able to do things a lot better, quicker, smarter, have a great team, and just be passionate about what you do. I think that's all really, really valuable uh, on top of all the other great things that you shared. Brilliant, really great conversation and something worth uh, listening to a few times to gain that knowledge on the, the sales front. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our Stitcher. Feel free to share an audio or video clip around our show, and we may, we may include it on one of our future podcasts. Please find us at marketing at openpeoplenetwork.com. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit openpeoplenetwork.com. Thank you and have a fantastic day.